Hi everyone, welcome back to the Buddhist Millionaire podcast. I am excited this morning. I sound it, don't I? No, I really am. So excited this morning to have a, um, uh, Steve Allen. I'll introduce him in a, a second. This guy is fascinating. And for many reasons, <laughs> one of the reasons is because on his, uh, his CV, listen to this, this is genius. Puppets and creature design. Uh, who doesn't want a job that designs creatures? I mean, that is just the business, right? So if there's no other reason to listen to this podcast, it's that. There's a couple of other things listed, which he's going to explain. But essentially, portfolio includes uh, working for Jim Henson Creature Shop, Disney, BBC, 20th Century Fox, Magic. There's loads of stuff. I'm not going to go into that. That's Steve's job. Um, I want to introduce him. And then I'm going to tell you how we came to meet and then I'm going to tell you why he qualifies a Buddhist millionaire and then I'm going to shut up and let him talk. Mr. Steve, welcome. Good morning. I got as you, you, see, you got snapped your tea there. It's good, perfect timing, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> I got to start, start with a cup of tea. Where are you? Are you where are you? UK? Whereabouts? I'm down in I'm in the south of England near a city called Canterbury. Uh, I but I actually country. live right out in the countryside. Oh, lovely. So um, right in the countryside. So I can just walk out of here into forests and rolling hills and I can bury bodies. So, yeah. It's going to kick off. You know how this is going to be. That's, that's, already, that's already set the tone. I promise. I, promise. I can bury bodies. That's going to be, that's going to be, the, uh, that's going to be the tagline already. I, I've got a feeling there's going to be more taglines coming. Listen, I'm going to tell people because I was thinking about it how we met, and this is this is important actually because the way we met uh, is is important of why we're here today. Is that I had so we both have a mutual friend CJ, and I saw yep. some Max Underdog stuff. I explain in a second, but this is actually what really sparked I would say our relationship is that I am a, a friend of uh, of mine, um, Martin. He he was dying. Um, and I kindly reached out to you and Max, Max Underdog, your kind of alter ego. Can we say alter ego? Is Max your alter ego? Yeah. He is, isn't he? A bit, yeah. I love Max yeah, Underdog. He is. Yeah. He's just genius. He says all the things that I can't say. <laughs> <laughs> I, need, I need one of those. I need a Max. I need yeah. just Max. Um, anyway, so I reached out to, to you guys um, just to do something to lift... Uh, maybe Martin's spirits. I mean, that's a big ask, isn't it? Lifting someone's spirits in the last kind of weeks of their life. Anyway, you did. It was brilliant. The message I got back from him and his family was beautiful. It's made me a bit emotional, actually. Anyway, settle down. Um, him and his family, uh, it, it was wonderful. And so that in itself was good, but it was also good because um, it showed me how much you cared as a human being. The actual, the actual performance itself was genius. Um, but that aside, I could see through every second of Max Underdog, your character, via you, right? How much you care as a human being and how bloody good you are, right? And that, Thank you. that, already, that already piqued my, my interest, okay? Um, and the other thing as well, of course, Max, uh, it, it, for those who don't know, Max Underdog is a, a green dog. It, if you think of the Muppets, he, he's Muppet shaped, right? So for, for us in this generation, we sort of grew up with the Muppets and Fraggle Rock, I think. So if you think of a Muppet, he's not a Muppet, but if you think of a Muppet, that's Max Underdog, just a lot naughtier. Brilliant. Anyway, and I saw in that some real, real fabulous craft, proper craft. 
and then we I think we got chatting I can't remember how we got chatting something happened anyway I thought oh, I really I want to um, interview Steve now that's how we met why why I uh, think of you as a Buddhist millionaire is because remember the requirements listeners for Buddhist millionaire is someone there's two spectrums just to remind you you're either at one end um, broke but creative you know the the bourgeois without any money <laughs> or at the upper end making a load of money and kind of you know stamping on people's heads sort of stuff so buddhist millionaires try and meet somewhere in the middle anyway and i know from a few people in in my world who are involved in in tv and, and film and media that it's a very creative world but brutal brutal and you're either making money or you're dead in the water and i know from some of your story how that's going so that's how we met. That's why I think you're a Buddhist millionaire. Steve, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, where would you like me to start? Wow. <laughs> give, give us some mistake, give us what work you actually do, what your work has looked like over the years. I mean, I've seen the pictures from the, the fantastic. Okay. Well, I, I started, <laughs> I started when I was 16. Um, I got a job as a soft toy designer for a large toy company called pedigree dolls and toys right and they were part of the rovex company which did um uh, triang hornby scale electrics and of course the cindy dolls okay so i literally walked straight out of school into a job um without any qualifications whatsoever why they took me on i have no idea i think it's because i took um uh two suitcases full of puppets with me and we had an interview but they didn't have it with me they had it with a chicken, oh, yeah. uh, a rabbit, uh, my version of Kermit the Frog, and get this, a blue spotty dinosaur with a wind problem. I had no idea what I was doing, <laughs> but um, a week later they, they rang my parents up and they offered me the job. Amazing. I mean, what? What were the other applicants like? Well, <laughs> you know? I, I've got a hint that they're probably not wandering in with two, two suitcases full of puppets and a blue one with a wind yeah, It was insane. <laughs> it was insane. But um, so I worked at Pedigree for about six years and then a job came up. What where era is it? When are we? Sit, where, oh, right. This, this would have been 78 when I started. Okay. 1978. 1978, right. And then in 1983, a job came through where I was asked to design uh, the soft toys for a brand new program that was coming out called Fraggle Rock. Oh, which, of course, is you know I love Fraggle Rock. You yeah, know, know my you feelings on Fraggle Rock. <laughs> Dance your cares away. Yeah, exactly. And um, so I was asked to make all of these things, and uh, I had to make all the characters, uh, including the Gorgs, the big, the big characters. Yeah. And um, I wanted so much to get these characters right, because if I didn't, it meant that Pedigree wouldn't get the license to produce the toys. Right, okay. So I had to get these things. Plus also, I was a huge Muppet fan since I was 10. So I started, I made, I made all these soft toys up and I made them as close as I could to the actual ones that were on TV. Wow. And I thought that would be it. But what I didn't realize was that if you're doing something which is TV and film merchandise, uh, you have to take it to that company who produced that film or that TV program to get approved. Right. Which meant that I had to go up to London to the Jim Henson company yep. to show these things. So, the as Henson you can imagine, is the creator I of was, Muppets, isn't he? 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, as you can imagine, I was a little bit excited. I was bouncing off the bloody walls. I don't think <laughs> I slept for the whole of that night. Um, anyway, we went to this meeting and I met up with uh, a guy called Bruce McNally, who is Jim Henson's art director, who's still a really close friend of mine. And um, we had this, this meeting. I didn't really talk a lot. I was just so nervous, but also excited about being there. And uh, I was showing these, these, these characters and um, there was lots of talk around the table saying, oh, this is nice and that's good. or really like this. And, but by the time I got to the last character, a lot of the character, a lot of the people around the table had stopped talking, and there was this silence in the room. Right. And I thought, "Oh my God, what what have I done? I've done something wrong here." And then I heard Bruce McNally say, "Steve, there's something not quite right with this character. If you come with me to my office, I'll show you the real Boober, and then you'll see what you've got wrong." So I had to walk down this corridor, leaving my boss behind to talk business. And I felt this big. I mean, I was almost crying, right. thinking, God, I've, I've blown this for pedigree. Not, I wasn't thinking about myself. It was no, no, pedigree. No, it's yeah. so, um, so anyway, he took me into this, this amazing room of his, full of this incredible artwork and stuff. And I was looking around, but I couldn't see any Fraggle Rock characters in there. And I thought, well, maybe he's got one in the cupboard, you know? And we sat down and we had a conversation. And I swear to God, this is how this conversation went. He went, Steve, do you like working for Pedigree? And I said something like, well, yeah, it's okay, I guess. And he went, oh, how would you like to come and work for us? Amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> the first thing they got me to do, I mean, I thought I was going to be there making Muppets. But no, uh, they gave me a contract to sign for, for um the Jim Henson company, but they, made, they gave me another contract for EMI Studios. And I thought, well, what's this? You know, yeah. I, yeah. I had no idea what was going to happen. And then to my amazement, the first thing they got me doing was making prototype characters for a film called Labyrinth. No, you're joking me. I love that <laughs> film. Better, better get, get out of here. That, that's a just... <laughs> what you know so i was on the pre-production stages of labyrinth and working with the the absolute top and um and i stayed there for um i was there for about a month making uh these prototype things then something happened which i'll come back to uh, later in our discussions but um, i went freelance okay and i ended up working for jim henson for about six and a half years doing a lot of his merchandise on Muppets, Muppet Babies, Fraggle Rock, Sesame Street, plus a whole load of things that you never see in right. this country. Right. Uh, but I was also helping to design new characters and so on. Uh, but also, because I was freelance, I was able to work for any company I wanted. So I was working for 20th Century Fox, um, Is this a Disney, Steve Allen creative? Uh, was it, is this a Steve it's Allen creative? It's a Steve Allen creative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And so I was flying off, flying off to Europe. I was going across to America. I was working up and down in London, but I was doing all of my work for my workshop in my garden in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so, and there were times when I had to pinch myself to think, how am I able to do this? Because normally they're always told, oh, you've got to work in London. Mm -hmm. You've got to be right in the center of it. Sure. No, you don't. You don't at all. 
you know, in this day and age, you should be able to sit in the middle of the Sahara Desert and do your job as long as you've got a laptop, a phone, and you can get your product from here to there. I mean, it's what we're doing. I'm not in the Sahara, but I'm as good as in the desert. Yeah, and we're into being... exactly. It's interesting you say that, actually, Steve. And that just because two things there are really, uh, really hit me. One, just what you said about, like, I, I think that we're only as good as the questions we ask. So, for example, yeah. right, if, if you buy into and believe, oh, just as you said, you have to be in London, you have to do ABC to get something, that's the yeah. sort of question, that's the conclusion. But actually, the que if the question changes, how can I have this but work in my garden at home? Do you know what I mean? And I, yeah. I think it's a reframing of the question. But people often yeah. don't do that. They don't ask, right, how could it be another way? I'm told it's this way, right? I'm told that brand new novelists don't make a bestseller. Okay, well, that's the, that's the common thing. Well, how can we change it so that that, for me, isn't true or, or whoever's asking the question? And I think that's important because you are an obvious example of that. That's one thing that strikes me. The other is that the, um, you're from that kind of old school, I would say mastery. I have a big link with Japan, of course, because of my martial arts, right? And uh, one of my best friends, Jeremy, has just gone out to Japan he's he's married to a Japanese lady and he he's um, studying under um, a woodwork master just for the pure mastery of it and you oh, don't right. yeah. you don't see that much anymore and I love the idea of mastery or in Japanese it's called do or path right it's it's yes. that's why you have karate do judo aikido or, or, or yeah. shodo all those things but anyway what strikes me with you is, uh, yeah exactly what strikes me with you is that you've come you have that that you and it sticks to you that sort of craft and passion sticks to you i love it yeah yeah you've got to have passion because uh, as i say to a lot of my students when i do uh, various lectures and talks is that if you don't have a, a passion for the thing that you do mm. then you might as well forget it mm. because it's it's not it's not to do with the money it's not to do with the the privilege or anything like that it's the passion that sees you through and it's the passion that makes you better than, than the next person, which is very important if you're freelance, yes. because you're under attack all the time. Where did you, did you, so your passion, obviously you were, I mean, you're at 16. If, if your first interview is already with two suitcases full of puppets, you've already been doing this for ages. How what did you wake up knowing? How, how did you come to that? How did you find your passion and, and what about those who can't yet maybe right I, I okay I'm going to tell you a true story here in fact this came up just recently um uh, I, I've I always consider myself to be incredibly fortunate that I had a very good upbringing um my my parents were fantastic uh we lived out in the countryside I had all this wonderful playground that mm. I that I could have let my imagination just just go. I could be anything I wanted to be um, out in those forests. And um, I was very much into certain TV programs, which were on at that time, uh, th things like Doctor Who and the, the American series of uh, Lost in Space and okay. Star Trek and all of this. Yeah. And I used to love watching these things. But the one thing that really used to annoy me is that if I saw a toy, of something that I really liked. When I got that toy, it was never quite like the thing in the program. 
Right. So, and I noticed that from a very early age. So I used to change the toys I had, try and make them look a little bit more like the realistic ones I, I would see on TV. Yeah. Um, but the actual passion I got is that the primary school I went to was a very musical school. And uh, our headmaster was forever getting us to sing. And I remember one Christmas, uh, before we broke up for the Christmas period, uh, he got us to learn, uh, I think something like 10 or 12 Christmas carols. And uh, we went down to uh, this archaic looking house in Dover, which are a big Georgian fronted house, which is an old people's home. Mm. And uh, I was eight years old when this happened. I definitely remember I was eight. And uh, we went in there and we, we were shown through to this big room and there were loads of old people there in chairs with blankets over them and bloody paper chains hanging up on the ceiling and so on, a Christmas tree in the corner. Yeah, yeah. And we, we, we stood there and we sang all these different carols. And then afterwards, uh, the carers gave us fizzy pop and some cake to eat and we went around talking to the uh, the elderly people there and uh, I was an incredibly shy child I didn't really focus on, on talking to anyone but I was I would live I mean it's, it's extraordinary I can still see his face and um, I can't remember his name though but he was obviously been crying right. he was wiping a uh, uh, handkerchief over his face and his carer was saying oh Mr Brown whatever his name was said what's the matter and he says oh he says um oh he said it's silly and then he said something which hit me in the face like a sledgehammer he said I wish I could have my time again because there's so many things I'd wish I'd done yeah. and I remember going home that night and thinking my god what must it be like to get to the end of your life and realize you hadn't accomplished yeah. something. Absolutely. And when I mean accomplish, I don't mean make loads of money. No, no, Doing no. something for the soul, something that makes you feel really good. You and know? you, said, you and, hear that, uh, that's interesting because so many people, that's almost like the biggest fear, isn't it? To, to be yeah. in, your, in your hours and... and um... Yeah. I mean, I'm not suggesting... Well, I made a promise to myself. But, but, that, but that, that sort of... It's, I mean, I'm not suggesting in any way that, you know, a four minute song. So that it remind that I spoke to me a bit about that when we did that, when you did that for Martin, that it's, it is filling yes. it with the, I mean, I'm not, I'm not at all suggesting that, you know, we completed his life. I'm not saying that, but what, what I'm saying is it is about kind of try and take all those um, just going after stuff, even if they seem little, just not wasting it. You don't it want is, to leave your yeah. best song in you, do you? I mean, that's, that's a really good point. No, to bring no, that down, no. but I mean, I, one, one of the reasons why uh, I did that thing with Max Underdog for you was two reasons. Uh, one is that you asked and that it, it, it was something needed to be done. But I know that, okay, it was just a puppet singing a song. But to some people, that's worth more than anything you'd be able to give them in monetary terms. Yeah. It's a memory. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and memories are the most precious things that you'll ever have because you'll revisit them and you'll just get a kick out of it every time you. I mean, how how many times have you listened to a song and gone, "Wow, this reminds me of my uncle," or "It reminds me of that holiday," or whatever. It's yeah. those moments that yeah. matter. Yeah, which well, even down to uh, the Fraggle Rock stuff. And that was. Moment. With, with, with the Fraggle Rock and the yeah. Muppets, 
it's not really yeah. about the characters as such. It's where, like, I can remember where I was with my brother watching them at my nan and granddad's. Yes. You know what I mean? The, that, yeah. that, that sound <laughs> through your head is like, and so, so it yeah. takes you, you're right, all of those things, songs and characters and, and old shows take you, yes, partly oh. the storyline, but you probably, one probably couldn't remember a single storyline of a Fraggle Rock, but no. I absolutely remember lying in front of the, t in front of the TV with my son. You know those old uh, electric fires with the grill? You know those? Oh, God, yeah, yeah. So I had my socks on. Yeah. And obviously it was stupid, but I'm on my belly with my feet in it, just on the edge, warming them, and always getting told off that I would, you know, <laughs> out the fire, you're going to set fire to your feet. Of course, you don't take your feet out the fire. No, no. And you do, no, no. <laughs> so but it's that little yeah, it's smoldering smell. <laughs> but it's those little things like that which you're right. Memories make everything, and it's kind of our. Um, that's what I also feel is the role of a Buddhist millionaire is to constantly make those new memories. You know what I mean? Just to yes. go yeah. after the stuff exactly. that you, that you love. Why? Because we're alive, thankfully, and yeah. it, we got to chase it. Wow. Yeah, well, absolutely, because uh, because these things are so important, because uh, uh, to have something to look forward to, that is for the soul, something that makes you feel good, but makes everyone else around you feel good as well. Okay. You know, you just want to keep carrying on with that, but it's how you get to that, because a lot of people just don't know. Everyone's searching for that, um, that magic button to press, mm. you know, that's going to make them better in life. And that the number of people who get it wrong because they've been told to be happy, you've got to have loads of money, mm. or you've got to have the latest bloody iPhone, or you've got to have a fast car. Mm. It's none of that crap. It really isn't. And it takes a bit of time to get round to realizing it. But, um, but I mean, to me, I mean, I'm going off on a tangent here. I'm no, sorry. No, no, but, no, 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 I can absolutely uh, go where you want. To me, I had this, uh, this eureka moment where. You know, I've spent 46 years of my life designing and making things to make other people rich. Now, okay, I got paid well for doing the jobs I do, okay. but when you put it into context of how much that product or that puppet or that character made in a film or on, on, in a toy shop or whatever, what they paid me was a minute drop in the ocean, you know? Mm. And I used to get so frustrated about this, uh, thinking, well, I want all that money, you know? And, because um, it's mine, but it's not mine. So how am I going to make myself happy? And then one day I just came to the conclusion that if you want a perfect life, what you need to understand is what makes you happy. You've got to understand what that is. And when you do understand it, you suddenly realize that it's not the fast car, it's not all the money, it's not the big house in the country, it's that feeding that inner, well, for me, it's that inner 10 year old kid who just likes to play around with stuff. Yeah. And let's yeah. face it, that's yeah. what my job is. It's playing around with stuff. Yeah. So I, I had a radical change of, of, of uh, where I wanted to go with things. But let's just touch on money, though, because I, I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. But to play, you're not even devil's advocate, but to play what majority of people are experiencing, still brown envelopes coming through the door. And for a lot of people in COVID, more brown yeah. envelopes and an inability to, to pay them. So 
we money is still there whether we want to uh, whether we agree with that or not and there is a point and i i said this in buddhist millionaire that passion is wonderful but it isn't enough we have to no. pay so what for those people who, who want who want to live that ideal who want to wake up and go i love this but how do we make it pay how have you managed to make your work your passion fund itself yes i'm not talking fast cars but you still have you know i'm guessing four walls there that you need to pay for or whatever it may be how have you done that okay well first of all before i answer that can i just apologize for what i just said there because i think i came across wrong there what when i when i say money isn't everything i mean that is such an arrogant thing to say and i didn't mean it in that way and i apologize um what i'm talking about with money i'm talking about the huge amounts yeah, yeah, of money yeah. that no, you and I would never see, yeah. you know, yeah, because yeah. there does come a point when there are some people who have so much money that it becomes a non-object. Yes. You know? So yes, of course I understand that people have bills to pay. I've got bills to pay. In fact, I've got a massive one to pay <laughs> very shortly. But yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but I think that the problem is, oh God, the, I mean how, how do you how do you get across this? I think the biggest problem is that a lot of people are doing jobs which they're not passionate about, but they're doing it because they need to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. And that is the biggest problem, is that how on earth do you carry on with a life that's fulfilling if you're doing something that you hate? Yeah. And there yeah. are so many people that have that problem. I mean, I know my, my wife has to deal with uh, people who, have, um, who are literally on the breadline. And it's... It, it's you know you wish you could help these people but the trouble is that we all have to make decisions with our lives you are responsible for your own life yes okay you may have friends and family and so on which can help you but at the end of the day you have to realize that it's up to you you're uh, responsible that. yeah and that that is one of the biggest biggest things that you you have to accept and believe me it's horrible i i've had to do it and i just I just remember being destroyed by it when, it, when, it, when I realized that, yeah, anything I do in life is down to me. Um, I agree with that. So the first thing you need to do is to, you, again, it goes back to what I was saying, is knowing what makes you happy. If you've got a job which sucks, but it pays the bills, okay, carry on with doing that. But my God, when you come home, and you have your own free time. You've got to totally immerse yourself in those things that make you happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't, it's not going to work. No. And those things could be anything. It could be going to the gym. It could be going out with your friends, um, uh, jogging. It could be taking up a hobby. Hobbies are great, especially if you take up writing or you're making something that's physical. Um, doing a hobby which other people find really interesting is even better because then you start to mix in with different groups of people sure. yes. and then you can bounce off those people and ideas and so on. And it's amazing how your life takes a complete leap of faith. Um, I'm going to give you a little example here. Um, I mean, it's going to sound awful. It sounds like I'm putting myself on a pedestal, but I'm not. No, 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 um, you're our guest. That's what we want. We, we, you know, you know, that's why, uh, we, that's why you're here. Yeah, I know, but... Yeah, but it, 
I just come over as a bit of a twat sometimes. What we'll do then, what I'll do, what I'll do, if you're getting out of line, we'll, I'll throw stuff at the screen and go, settle down, settle down, say I've got something here. I was, I, I was walking through uh, the town a couple of years ago with my wife, mm. and this young guy, and I suppose he was about, what, 24, came running up to me. He went, hi, Steve, how are you doing? And I'm looking at this guy thinking, I have no idea who you are. Not a clue. And of course, you do that thing, don't you? You kind of, oh, hi, how are you? Oh, hi, I'm great. I hope you're well. <laughs> yeah, it's going to twig in a minute. Yeah, I know Sherry and I have really, code. No. Sherry and I have code at parties, right? If I don't introduce her, yeah. right, it's not me being that guy. It's just like... I don't know who yeah. I'm introducing to, she says. I have no idea. And they like, yeah. <laughs> so she knows that. She, they walk away. She goes, you don't know who that was? You go, I have absolutely no idea who that was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah. But anyway, yeah, this guy came up to me. He says, how are you? And I'm good. He says, oh, said Steve, um, uh, you know, he's uh, talking about his work and stuff. And I, I had no idea. And then obviously there was something that, um, that to told him that I didn't know. I didn't recognize him. Yeah. And he said, it's me. Uh, I was one of your students at Canterbury Christchurch. Ah, uh, okay. And he said, you came in and did a workshop on sculpture for people who have never sculpted before. Oh, wow. And he said, remember, you bought some plasticine. And he said, you came in and you gave us a task to do. You said, I want you to sculpt a finger, just a finger. And you got five minutes to do it in. And of course, Everyone produced this thing that looked like a sausage <laughs> with a few lines on, you know? Awful. Now, what I did was to, um, uh, I took all those things away and I gave them another piece of plastic and said, okay, now we're going to do it again, but this time I'm going to show you how to do this. So within 10 minutes, we'd all made another one. And then I went and got the first one that they did and put it next to theirs. Yeah. I had people crying. They could not believe the difference between the, the two that they had made. Yeah. And he said, I had never forgotten that class. He said, after we, you did that class, he said, I went out and ordered a load of sculpting tools and things, and I learned how to sculpt. And he says, and two years later, I am now showing my sculptures in, um, in a gallery in London. Wow. And he says, because of you. Wow. And I was stunned. <laughs> I was stunned that anyone had been even listening. I know? did. Um, so Sherry, so my wife, Sherry, she took a um, year and a bit off. Or was it two years? It was at least a year. I can't remember. Um, she, so she's a teacher. She's an early years specialist. And right. she took some time off to, to uh, do her art. She wanted to um, yeah kind of go her, after her art and she did an art class and I took part in her art class. I was definitely the worst behaved. I was the least talented and the worst behaved in her art class. But yeah. my point is with that, she showed techniques on things that we did one, an early one, you know, shading a ball, just making something look spherical, which had a degree of tricks that even I, right? And it looked, I was like, wow. And there is something in that when you discover something you didn't know, it's like an epiphany. It's, it's something you didn't yeah, know. This, yeah. You realise, wow, that's actually, I just didn't know it. Now I know it, I can do it. And that is very, that's a great feeling. Yeah. Those are the moments I'm talking about. Those are the moments that you attach to uh, the, the passion that see you through onto better things. Hmm. And I think 
I mean, I've had this talk before with people who have said, oh, you know, I'm bored with my life and I want to, uh, I want to achieve to do something, but I can't do this and I can't do that. And I asked them, well, why can't you do it? So, well, mm. because I've got children or I've got too much work to do. And I said, okay, well, how much time do you spend watching TV? How much time do you just sit there actually thinking about doing something, but you're not actually doing it? Mm. That's time you could be doing uh, to, um, to to start something new in your life. Yeah. And the thing is, so I asked them again, why don't you try it? And I don't get an answer because I know what the answer is. And so do they. And the answer quite simple is people are afraid to try something. I agree They're with afraid you. Afraid of making a mistake. This is really interesting. You know? I was thinking about this. I think about this a lot, but I was thinking about this this morning. I was just in the bath going through prep notes, et cetera, et cetera. And um, that's my think tank, the bath, just in case. All right, okay. That's <laughs> just like an embryonic kind of, yeah. But, but just that, I was thinking why people, same thing. You, you hear it all the time. I hear it now as an author, oh, I'd like to write. And also as a martial artist, or oh, I always want a black belt. People always coming up to tell you they want to do this thing. And then you say, okay, well, well how do I, let's go with the author one because we're both writing books, right? And they say, how do I do this? And, and my, my magic, my magic tip is uh, why you could sit down and write it. I'm sorry, there's nothing else. There's nothing I can say that will make sense unless you sit down and write it. So that kind of clears that out. That's a bit like you said, well, can you cut down your TV time? So then we get to the crux of the matter, which is, okay, well, now why aren't you? Uh, and I have a, a few friends like this, one particularly, and it's fear. Well, fear of what? Fear yeah. that you suck. Yeah. Because yeah. that, for most people, is the, my tennis career, right? Before this, this is relevant. I wanted to play pro tennis, and I wasn't very good. That's why I didn't get to the yeah. levels I wanted. But that was the end of my life, right? That was the full yeah. stop. Once I discover that I'm not as good as I thought, that's the full stop. Now I'm older, I realize that's the beginning. <laughs> Just yes. when you write your draft or whatever it is you're trying and you realize this isn't very good, rather than that being the, uh, the condemnation of your skills as a writer or whatever, that's the beginning. That tells you what yeah. time you yeah. need to start your work tomorrow. <laughs> that's all yeah 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 I, I think the problem is is that uh, when you're a kid you'll try anything mm. because you're fearless when you're a kid when you become an adult because you you become more aware of the world and so on but you become more aware of yourself so yes. you you're frightened of making yourself look like an idiot yeah and it, which is ridiculous because I mean come on there was a time when you couldn't walk there was a time when I couldn't speak you know but it's well, the time a, when it, I had hair. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, it's a learning process. All of yeah. these things are learning processes. And then, you know, you've got to try at least, you know. Um, that brings us on really nicely, actually, to another reason I really wanted to speak to you, Steve, is because, um, because what are you, did you say you're 58? I'm 58, yeah. Okay, so I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm just going to so plug this thing. Go on. I just, just realised that I'm running out of, Juice. Juice. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is the instrumental break where we lose our guests and I start, yeah. just, you know, going through a couple of numbers. There we go. Yeah. yeah. I was just, just seeing the, I could just see the little thing, you know, emptying of power. Yeah. I'm going to go, put and I've gone, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Talking to myself. That wouldn't be a first time where I'm saying, chain to myself. Um, 
this is really important actually and um so we're talking about finding your passion and there are a load of people talk about that but but what's really interesting is that you are not only in a brutal environment which as far as i understand and correct me if i'm wrong but the other people i speak to in the kind of film tv world it seems to be quite ageist Whereas there's a point where you're past your shelf life and the new ones come in and they sling you. That's what I've heard. So that's so that's brutal. So there's a, so, and I have a, a few, as I say, a few friends similar ages to you who are in the same thing, where they suddenly have had this career, which not only have they loved, has, has funded their mortgages or whatever, right? But then they've faced themselves in their 50s, now 58, having to reinvent themselves. Now that, there's a point where you think, ah, oh, you don't mind reinventing yourself in the 20s, 30s, maybe 40s, but in 50s. And you have done that in, in as so to tell you guys who are listening, um, Steve's writing a novel, um, which is no easy feat at the best of times, right? Um, so he's reinventing himself and, and I'm just impressed with that, Steve. I don't know what the outcome of the novel will be, who knows, but the point is you're stepping in how have you found that, frame that for us. Tell us how you have been the guy who can reinvent themselves or at least have a good go at it. Well, the first thing is, if you're working as a creative uh, in the creative industry, and I'm talking about the wide aspects, not just film, TV, but anything that's creative, because mm. it's all as difficult as, as each other. You have to reinvent yourself every 10 years because you can't, be complacent in your job. You can't um, work in all of stuff and think, well, that's me. I'm here forever. Right. Because what you don't realize is that every 10 years, there's another generation coming up behind you. Sure. And they're young and they're eager and they will do the work for free. Okay. You know, yeah. because, yeah, yeah, and yeah. they can be controlled. Yeah. And unfortunately, the, the industry is very controlling. Um, and it is a, how can I put it? It's a swarming hornet's nest of pain, anxiety, and fear. And if there's anyone watching this, sign me up now. Sign me right up now. (laughs) You know exactly what I mean. It is. Um, Because you get very little recognition for what you do. Um, I think one of the most painful things that happened to me um, in the last two years is that. uh, a company that I, I did a lot of work for, freelance, because um, I used to work for many different companies. Right. There's one company called Wesco, and they were brilliant. So they used to do a lot of TV and film merchandise. And it was all clocks and watches and alarm clocks and money boxes and things. And uh, I did, oh, God, Doctor Who, Batman Begins, oh, wow. um, the Muppets, and a whole load of stuff. A whole load of stuff, brilliant. And... Um, a couple of years ago, they did a write-up about me, which is unheard of. And I read this and I, I, I was open mouth because I thought they were talking about someone else. They were saying that, um, you know, working with Steve was one of the best experiences we'd ever has. His models were always top-notch. They were always within budget. They were always delivered on time. And I mean, glowing report. And then, they finished it with something that took my breath away. Uh-huh. They said, in fact, many of the things Steve made for us went on to win awards. Yeah. It's news to me. Yeah. <laughs> what? 
And when I looked throughout my career, there is a whole string of things which have won awards. Now, I don't do my job to win awards, but a little bit of recognition, yeah, you know, exactly. would be nice. And what hurt me was the fact that someone else went up to a podium to win an award for something that I created, and yeah. I wasn't even told. Yeah. You know, is that and quite it's like, common in the industry, is it? Is that so? Oh, of, yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. It's part of the job. You'll have your ideas stolen, you'll have somebody who will come in and be convinced. I, I don't, that they I'm, I'm, I'm pretty safe there. My ideas are not good enough to steal. I can't give mine away. I'm paying people to steal my ideas. <laughs> oh, you'd be, you'd be amazed what ideas do go through. Um, but yeah, it's a, it was a, a pretty damning thing. And uh, it got to the point where, you know, I, I got to my 58th birthday last year. And of course, last year was the worst year ever. Yeah, the year. And it, it, it coincided with a whole load of things. What happened is that um, a lot of people, I worked for uh, lost their jobs, mm -hmm. but also the companies they worked for also went bust. Went under, and yeah. Every single project was cancelled. Yeah. Um, with me, I've been worked on is that when you hear about a project, you immediately think that you start on that project now and it comes out in a couple of months' time. Yeah. No, no, I've worked on stuff four years ago that still haven't come out yet. Yeah. You know, so it's, a long it's the same with book optioning. You you, you hear the you hear yeah. people have sold their option. And you think, oh, that's great. My book's going to be a film. And that, yeah. and yeah. it either never makes it because they can afford to give whatever. I don't know what it is. Yeah. But let's say 10 grand just to sit on that because it doesn't matter just to keep it, keep it hold yeah. of it. And often it doesn't doesn't even come close to being made. Yeah. And then if it yeah. does, it's 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 ages down the process. I was a bit like I found that with um with how to be a buddhist millionaire actually working in publishing you realize yeah. so that was out that was sold what a year before then of course you've got to go through all your edits and your proofs etc cetera, etc cetera. but what i also what it did just thinking of you and your awards what it did um show me is how many people make a productive baby if, if you see what i mean so in industry it's the it's the front yeah. runner, right that gets it the actor or the actresses or you know or max underdog but actually, there's all those people behind the scenes that make that. And I actually really enjoyed that in the book because uh, it wasn't just me. It was my my agent. It was the editors. It was the team. In the end, well, yeah. there's probably yeah. 10 people wrote How to Be a Buddhist Millionaire. I mean, I, I wrote it, but it, it, it's much more than that, isn't it? And I hadn't yeah, I been in yeah. that world. And I realized, OK, that's yeah, that's that's pretty good. It's my my name on the cover. But there's so many people involved, the marketing department. Um, and, and I've got a few, a few students who work in theatre and they, you know, do all the backdrops. And uh, I've got a really good friend, um, George Asprey, who's in um, his scar in The Lion King. And he took us from uh, all right. back of the, uh, so he does jiu-jitsu as well. He's a great guy. He's one of my favourite men ever. Anyway, we did jiu-jitsu on the stage and then we went for a tour. And you see, I love behind the scenes stuff. I, I just... I mean, I love the front. I, lo I love to be mugged. I, lo I love to fall into it. But I, I love the work that goes behind it. The, you know, the, the ankle that's broken, and, but they're still moving like yeah. that. It's just like, oh, that for me yeah. is magic. <laughs> and that's why, yeah. I mean, seeing, seeing you work with Max and then knowing you as you or, and then seeing it, it's, it's, that is an art, isn't it? That's amazing how many it people, is. It, people behind it's, the scenes. 
Wow, it's fun. And I've, you know, and what's great is I've been able to make a career out of that. And uh, but it has been incredibly hard work mm. uh, because I, I think, okay, I've had amazing moments in my life. Um, I mean, working for Jim Henson was great. I mean, to, to be able to be standing there with Jim Henson, George Lucas and David Bowie was just incredible, you know, and uh, working with the likes of, uh, of John Hurt and so on. But also it's all the other people that you never hear about. I mean, I, yeah. I've, I've just been so fortunate. The downside, of course, is that you're working in an industry, and I'm trying to pull this back to what we were discussing earlier, is that the downside is, it's the relentless expectation for you to create miracles in right. no time at all, and right. also on a very small budget. Yeah. And, and, and of course, on top of that, you've got the stress of finding work, the stress of getting paid, um, the ridiculous deadlines and so on. And it's multi-layers and eventually they come crashing down on you. Sure. And, um, and that's what happened to me uh, last year. I mean, 2020 was bad for everyone, but mine was com compacted with the collapse of, of what I was doing. Mm. And there was that awful moment. I, um, I, I was literally in the middle of a field, five miles in the middle of nowhere, sitting in the middle of fields, screaming my head off. Yeah, yeah. That's where I was, thinking I need help. Yeah. I yeah. need yeah. help. Because I, suddenly I thought my life's come to an end. You know, the job that I love, the job I've been doing really since I was 10, you know, um, suddenly it's gone. It's, it's, it's almost like an, a, a bereavement. And of course, then the fear and comes. That's interesting, actually. That, yeah, you're probably, probably is exactly the same uh, yeah. mechanics, the motions, right? Yeah, yeah. The fear comes back. Am I going to look foolish? Am I too old to do this? Mm -hmm. um, but the worst one is, have I failed? That's the one which plunges people into uh, despair. Sure. Because because when you then suddenly feel as though you are worthless, that's when your entire world comes crashing down. Yeah, 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 yeah. How do you stop that happening? You know, because if you, once you get down there, okay, you can get help, but a lot of people don't don't come out of it, and your your life just gets screwed up. So. Uh, Again, so what I had to do, Matt, is to go back to what I was talking about before, is realizing what made me happy. And what made me happy was doing my own stuff. Yeah, yeah. Which is what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? so, um, so in the future, you know, I'm going to have my own Etsy page. I'm going to change my website and so on. And I'm just going to make the stuff I want to make yeah. and sell it online. And I'm doing collectibles and things like that. And I'm going to be doing writing and... And, and so on. So it's an artwork and anything I want to do, I'm just going to do it. Yeah. And um, but but I can do that because I'm at the age I am. And also, you know, thank God I've paid the mortgage off. You know, I would uh, I would I argue there. I would <clears throat> if I can. You say that yeah. because I'm the age I am or, or because I paid the mortgage, I would argue you can because you've chosen for that to be the case. I absolutely yeah, you, believe yeah. that it's choice first. Like another person in the same situation, same age, same mortgage paid, wouldn't necessarily to do that. So it's important to get credit for the fact that making that choice to go, do you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna dig in. 
that is important to be recognized. And I also yeah. think that that decision is the creator of magic. I'm, I'm a big believer in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you again, you know, you have to take responsibility for your own yes. life. Yes. And it's the choices you make. Uh, yeah. that, that sounds like an old cliche, but it no, is but it's a cliche. It becomes a cliche because it's said a lot, and it's said a lot because it's yeah. true, right? Yeah, so, exactly. So, cliche. Yeah. Bring them on. I mean, try not to put them too yeah, much yeah. in the novels, but bring them on because yeah. they're there for a reason. <laughs> they're true for a reason, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. So what I had to do is I had to look. I had to sit down and say to myself, okay, what are the things that make me happy? What is it I can do? And uh, I mean, there's several different things I can do across the whole of the creative industry. And I thought, what I've got to do is make myself feel better about myself and what I've got, uh, what I've got to do with the challenges ahead. Hmm. And um, so I just immersed myself in writing my book, which was a godsend because I could just disappear into another world. Yeah. But I started to talk to my friends and people like yourself and, uh, and just, just start making things again and, and having a feeling as though, yeah, I can do this, but bloody hell, I can do this as well. Yeah. And I can do this. Yeah. And what was, what was the eureka moment for me was when I suddenly realized that, yes, I can do this because I haven't got a boss looking over my shoulder sure. telling me what to do. Yeah. I haven't got a deadline. I haven't got somebody saying, oh, you can't do that because it's overpriced. I can do whatever I want. Yeah. Yeah. All I've got yeah. to do is to get my bloody act together. You know, yeah, by saying- Yeah, the work still needs doing, right? We still, we've still got to still sit got down to do and, and get the pen out and do whatever we so need to do. How do you do it? Yeah, now this, is the, this, is the, this was the hardest thing I had to do. And Christ, it was really hard for me to do this. I've been freelance all my life. so. Everything I've done, I've done myself. All the decisions, everything have been made by me. Mm -hmm. So asking for help from someone else made That's me harder, feel right? stupid. Yeah. You know, it made me feel stupid that, oh God, you know, I failed with what I've done. And I'm now asking for people, I should be better than this, you know, which is cobblers. No one, no one. It's not an indicator. Uh, Asking better. for help is not. I had a really weird conversation with a great friend Absolutely. of mine, one of my dearest friends. Um, and it was strange that that was yesterday or day before. Anyway, it was just about that, about asking yeah. for help. It is not an indicator of yeah. weakness. In my view, it's an indicator of uh, yeah. strength, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And it's nothing to do, it's not money. It's not, oh, I need money. No, it's, it's just, I need, for instance, so uh, I mean, I use my laptop a lot, but I'm not the greatest person on the computer, as you know, you know, but there are lots of things which are, I, uh, I can do on this thing. Um, so what I, what I did, I sat down thinking, okay, out of all the friends that I know, and I've got some great friends, they all do different things. If I just ask, could you help me with getting a new website up? Or could you help me uh, with this little project? Or mm -hmm whatever you know um they can either say yes or no if they say no then you realize they're not your friend okay so you start to whittle people down <laughs> it's a bit like facebook you can yeah. get 500 people but actually only five of them are real friends yeah yeah absolutely. so and, and that's um, how it should be right really and that's how it should you be. have a lot of colleagues and then, of course you only have true friends a few yeah yeah and uh, and you find out who your friends are yeah and then to my amazement uh, People will say, yeah, okay, of course I can do that Amazing. for you. 
Yeah, great. And the moment they say that, you feel like this that. massive weight come off your shoulder. You know, it's, oh, it's that awesome. realization. Yeah, it's that realization that you're not stupid. I mean, if you were stupid, you wouldn't have got to where you are in the first place with all, with all that, all those years, those decades of work you've done. You're still a creative person, but you can't do everything yourself. You're not Superman as much as we'd love to be, you know? And uh, so I found that getting help from my friends and realizing my weaknesses um, and not sitting back and thinking that I'm God almighty, because I'm not, you know. Oh, I love a bit of God Almighty. I love a bit of, uh, you know, oh, storm creation. You know? <laughs> yeah. So you, you have to, it, it, it was a humbling thing to have to do, but thank God yeah, I did do it because uh, I, you know, I did come out the other side. I did seek help because um, I didn't want to fall into uh, depression. And luckily I, I found somebody who did uh, these telephone conversations where they talk about your problems and so on. And that was, uh, that was, fascinating it was like a CBT terrifying. CBT was it yeah 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 it's it's it's, it's but basically to, to, to stop you from getting into um, uh, like it's like I, I had the same thing I once when I first got divorced um it wasn't so much that I was divorced I had a meltdown it's so I was leaving leaving my kids and I had the same yes. thing yeah. and had one of these early CBT things which stop it in track and it, yeah exactly it's just useful isn't it just yeah. to, uh, just to get it yeah out. it is uh, you see, the thing is that uh, you, you fall into this thing called circular thinking, where you just think too much about things. Yeah, yeah. And you go from one thing to the other, and you never find the door out. Yeah. And what you need is that person to open that door to let you out. Yeah. And luckily, uh, the, the woman who I was talking to, Barbara, who was just incredible at this, did this on several occasions. And I remember on the first um, uh, meeting that we had, uh, I, I kept apologizing, saying to look, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know, I, I should be better than this. I should be better than this. And uh, she said, yeah. And, uh, no, uh, yeah, and uh, I also said that I, I should, should be stronger than this. That's the term I used. I should be stronger than this. I'm sorry. And then she said, yeah, Mr. Allen, that's why you're here. You've been yeah. strong for too long. No one could put up with what you've had to put up with and not break. Yeah. And once I somebody recognized that, it became real. It was somebody else telling me that. Yeah. And then suddenly the door opened and I walked through and thank God I came out the other side. Unscathed, he it's, says. <laughs> um, it is it's such an interesting thing. There's so uh, I've, I've read a long time ago, but incorporating it into more and more teaching, Carol Dweck is a um, psychologist. Anyway, she's a teacher as well. Anyway, her book is called, it may not be called this, but it's about fixed and growth mindset. So very briefly, a fixed mindset is the belief in a fixed ability that once challenged, you can't go beyond that, right? So he's talented, she's talented, that's fixed. And often great geniuses have this fixed mindset, right? And then there's growth mindset, which is we start somewhere and we work our way up. And the problem is the fixed mindset, and which is why it's mostly around talented people. It's why I don't like the term talented. I don't believe in talent. And I don't believe in it because I don't have it, right? So what happens is with the... <laughs> <laughs> what happens is with the fixed mindset is once that 
talent is um, shown to be not true in as far as there's always someone who will beat you, do a better model, write a better book, right? Once, once yeah. that's gone, what happens is those people very rarely recover because the illusion yeah. of fixed is gone. Whereas the growth mindset is literally the win or the win or um, yeah, the win or learn. You never lose. Now that isn't the uh, the kind of you know modern day. Oh, don't worry, dear. You came eleventh. I'm not being one of those parents. What I'm saying is, it's no, that, no. and they're only ten in the race, right? Um, but what I'm saying, it's that whole. Actually, it really is just a starting point. I'm here, so now I know that yeah. I need to do here to get here. And I would say, Sherry and I were talking about this because we we're talking about it at school here. Um, it's so important to have that growth mindset to go. Listen, whatever position we're in is not yep. a failure and that's not me looking after your emotions i genuinely it is no. a, it's a it's an observation i know to get to brighton i have to start on whatever road i'm on that's all it is get on the road and go yeah and i wish people have i wish people uh, acknowledge that and for anyone who's listening i'll put the link in there but have a look at carol dweck's book uh, growth mindset i think it's called yep. i'll put it in the link when this goes out but yeah that's really important steve i agree with you absolutely yep. i mean Failure is normally pointed out by other people. Hmm, let me think about that. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is. Because people will want to see you fall, especially in my industry. That's, that's true, actually. That, unless, because I do think it's important to... So it's a different word, right? So that's a good... Hmm. I mean, think, failure is pointed out by other people. Yeah, who are trying to stop you moving. And it's forward. normally... It, yeah, it's normally people who are either jealous of you and don't have any talent or just want to see you fail. I've met loads of people like that. No, no, especially no. I, 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 we, go, go, we could go on social media now, go into any thread on social media of any group and watch what they're talking about. And you've got just that. Yeah. But saying that and then going back to your early point about responsibility, I do think yeah. also... It is important as we go to bed at night or whenever we do that, whenever our assessment of the day is, is to self, not criticize, what word, self-assess the day so that we're constantly yeah. honest with ourselves. So we're not waiting for someone else who doesn't care to tell us we're a failure, but just to go, actually, I could do that better. Or I didn't really work. Uh, I didn't do enough hours or whatever. That's important as well. Don't you think that constant self-observation, observation and assessment. So you always know yes. how close am I to Brighton? I don't know why I've got Brighton in my mind. I have absolutely no idea. But um, how close you are, you know, am I 10 meters mm. away, 10 miles away, 50 miles away? And I think that's important for humans to do, for us all to do. It's, getting, it's getting things into perspective. Uh, with a lot of things I've done, I mean, in my early life, when I started out in my career, I would go out of my way to try and please other people. Mm you know and uh, and i suppose you could say with, with the book i'm writing at the moment um i'm not writing it for the masses i'm writing it for those who will buy it and love it and hopefully will read it again and then yeah. tell people yeah because you would be stupid to go into say writing a book expecting everyone to love it it's yeah. not gonna happen Absolutely. So I, I just sit back and think, okay, it's not going to happen. 
these people love it, they won't, it will grow, it will be a steady grower. And the last thing you should do is, uh, is go out there thinking that everyone's going to love what you do, because you're just setting yourself up for failure every single time. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, that is, absolutely, I agree with you. I think you can't be all things to all people. But also equally, we do have to keep, um, we also have to be like, so last week I interviewed Mike Clark, a singer-songwriter, right? Who's brilliant and he's very inspiring. And I could, and he, I, I'm, a, I'm a hack guitarist. Like I'm the worst of the worst, you know what I mean? Three chords, three chords and a buff note and I think I'm super famous. But we do also have to be honest with ourselves. And I could, of course, I could record an album, right? I have all the technology here. Yeah. And I could record an album and I could post it and I could put it next to Mike and go, Mike, I've got an album too. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah. But that is also important for us to be honest with ourselves, to say, listen, I'm not, at the moment, I'm not that great. I'm a karaoke king. And that comes down to, in the end, like I could come in, to, I, could, I could do what you're doing, right? Come in, do a sculpture, which looks like a finger that looks like a sausage, Put it on Etsy and then go, I also make sculptures. And I, you know what I mean? Yes. But we do have to be yeah. honest with ourselves as well, don't you think? Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. And how do you, how do you <laughs> what do you do? Because you clearly are, you're an expert in your field. You are a master at what you do. How do you transpose that expertise where you're constantly assessing your professional work onto maybe a, a new or a new uh, career as in authorship how do you do that because you're being well, a thing, you have to be I, a beginner again don't you sort of oh yeah absolutely yeah you're starting from scratch yeah. because you're, you're not using uh, big companies anymore you are out on your own mm. and it's a scary place to be but um what you need to do is to uh know what's on the market at the moment. I mean, take for instance, I I'm thinking about doing artwork and doing sculpture and so on mm -hmm. that people could buy. Okay. okay, well, go on the internet and see what's already available. Yeah. And there is some amazing stuff that you can buy, but it's also incredibly expensive. Right. But what surprises me is just how much crap is out there. Yeah. I just appalling rubbish, but people still buy it. Yeah. You know, so you think, well, okay, where do I, where am I between the really great stuff and the dreadfully awful stuff? Yeah. Yeah. You know, there must be a place for me somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so that gives you a, some hope that, okay, I'm good enough to do this. Then you need to think, okay, well, what am I going to do? What's, what's out of all the things I do, which is the strongest thing I know that I can do with my eyes closed? And then, how can I make that and make a profit out of it? And, and the only way you're going to do that is to actually get in and do it. If you just sit about worrying about it, it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. You have to take that, that leap of faith. Yeah. And, and believe me, that is a scary thing to do. Really scary thing. And now there may be people watching this thinking, well, hang on a minute. If you've lost everything and you haven't got a job or whatever, and you're just going to start this new thing, uh, that's impossible, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I suppose it is in a way. Uh, it's better to try these things out while you've got a part-time job. So you've got something that's there that's ticking some money over yep. that allows you time to get on with what you do. 
if you were to just dump everything and say, right, I'm going to become a great sculptor now, you're going to be very poor. You've got, again, it's taking responsibility for your actions in your own life. Oh. You have to make a plan. You've got to make a plan. You just can't just walk into it. I can't tell you what that plan is because we are all different. We all work in different ways. We do different things. That's just right. In, in, in How to Be a British Millionaire, I interviewed, what, 11 people. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And some, because I'm a, I'm a jumper. I'm like, I've always done that. When I finished with my tennis career, yeah. I moved to, so I've, I've always been, I'm not doing that now. I've shut the door and it's done. I've, that's yeah. just how I operate. I'm all or nothing because that's how I operate best. Yeah. When I've got everything to lose, right? It just seems. Does it make you happy? I love it. I love being on there the. There you end. go. Because I you love took being the But equally, and that's why I had um, Ian and Drew. Uh, those guys said, like you, set it up while you've got a little bit of money. You can do it gradually. Yep. Plan, and it's a little bit like writers, aren't there? There's the plotters and the pantsers. Yep. Some just kind of throw themselves at it. Some kind of plan themselves to death. And both are correct but just as you say if if it if yeah. it you know lights you up as you're doing it that is yeah. the way to do it no no that's that's yeah it's good advice exactly and if, and if you can come up with a really good idea or or something that you know people want to buy um then you'll be amazed how quickly you reinvent yourself because you won't have time to sit around you'll be mm -hmm. you'll be busy again creating stuff and being happy doing it yeah. I, I'll, I'll give you an example here i was talking to a friend of mine recently who, uh, who also used to work in the film industry and a mate of his went through exactly the same problem as i did right where suddenly whole world collapses okay, you know. what am i going to do and he went around galleries and looked on the internet at, at high priced objects for houses. The sort of things that uh, uh, your banker in London will buy for his swanky apartment, you know? And he looked for a gap in the, uh, uh, the sort of things that you buy. Mm -hmm. And he thought, what can I make that looks visual that everyone will want? And he came up with this idea, which I thought was ridiculous. Boy, was I wrong. Was I wrong? He makes models of cassette tapes. Okay. Cassette tapes yeah. with the artwork on the front, let's say Purple Rain by Prince, you know, but he does them 12 times the size. Can I, can I tell you something? I'd have one of those in my house. No. I love that sort of stuff. <laughs> no, really? <laughs> Which one is it? <laughs> Any cassette. I love that. But that's right, though. What seems so crazy an idea. Yeah. And you think. You walk in. Yeah, you no, walk no, in. I haven't got one. I would have one. Yeah, you got a massive cassette tape with purple yeah, yeah. radar. Oh, wow. Yeah. I have on that. That's brilliant. That's a great But idea. it looks fantastic. It looks fantastic. He can't make them quick enough. Amazing. That's you hilarious. Know? And yet, and yet um, yeah, back in the summer of last year, he was bloody destitute. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And that's so a little bit like sort of thrown to the wall. You find that there is, yeah. there is some sort of um, magic. I've spoken to a few guests about this, and none of us have got an idea of what that magic is. You, we can describe that, but there is some sort of magic. Life has a funny way of working itself out. Now, I realize yeah. there are many people where life hasn't worked itself out. And yeah. so I don't, I don't know the contradiction there. I realize that doesn't work all the time. And that's, I just don't know why that works. I'm still trying to figure out why it works because my personal belief and experience and then from meeting all these, uh, all these people is that 
actually it, life is kind of on our side if we just go with it it does yeah. even if it's something like ah oh, make big cassette tapes and it might be at the 11th hour right yes yeah yeah, yeah. and i don't know why whatever this i know <laughs> come on go, go i know yeah. i know it's exactly what we were talking about it's this fear it's if you don't engage with other people and you you, you ask for that help mm. It's through asking through different people. I mean, for instance, let's just take us. Uh, you know, I, I wrote a book. I had no idea about books or whatever. And then suddenly you pop into my life through Max Underdog. And I found out you were writing a book. And I thought, oh, God, I, I wonder if Matt will help me with a few bits and pieces of the understanding of writing. Mm. And I really thought you'd tell me to bugger off. But you didn't. You came back with emails saying, try this do this, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, all right, okay. I can now do this. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and if I hadn't have asked you, I would have most probably gone on the internet and looked through God knows how many uh, different websites of how you write a book, yeah. you know, yeah. and, um, and I'd still be in exactly the same place yeah. as I was two years ago. It's true. It's asking for help. I mean, that's, it's true. Realizing your weaknesses, I'm as you sorry. said, and then asking for help about it. Yeah, I hope your listeners are still there. I hope I'm not boring the pants off them. So. No, 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 they're all there. They're all, they're all there. Ask, ask me something else. <laughs> ask me something else. <laughs> I just wanted to look at, so uh, let's, let's run for 10 minutes or so. Um, and I want to look at, I mean, we've, we've kind of covered it in just a general, but I, I am very mindful that a lot of people throughout COVID, um, and I, in the martial arts world as well, as, as in your world, but in the martial arts world, there's a lot of small gyms, independent owners, small gyms that have just lost their living. They've lost, they, they have lost their living overnight. You, you, they just, they just kind of survive. So, you know, I, I, this, I'm making up this statistic, but I would guess 98% of those people haven't got the luxury. They're, they're, their backs are against the wall, right? They're looking for that yeah. big cassette, purple rain moment. Um, yeah. And so for those people, again, I know we've discussed it, but just 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 kind of summarize for us, those people who've, who've basically probably lost everything. Right. And you have been there, which is why you're you can really talk about this. You have been there. Give them some hope uh, post covid of how we can turn this all around. Now, the whole world is against us. How can we turn this around, Steve? Well, the first thing to do is to not fall in that trap of thinking that you're the only one that's going through it. Because you, you do, we all do. You, you sit there and you cry and you scream and you get angry and you think, why is this happening to me? Mm. You know, somebody up there is obviously playing a huge trick on me. That's how, that's how I felt, you know? Yeah. Which is absolute rubbish because we're all going through it. There, are, there will always be somebody worse off than you. Old cliche, but it is true. Mm. Um, so uh, there are going to be some really tough times, really tough times. And I look back at last year and I, I, I was gutted. I was really at the end of, of, of my rope. I just didn't know what to do. Mm. And so luckily, you know, I've got an amazing wife which helps, absolutely, truly incredible wife. I've also got some very good friends, which I couldn't see because of the lockdown. And I think the lockdown has compounded this even yeah. worse. And I think 
why, what people also have to understand is that, okay, if, if you have a breakdown or that you're, you feel that you're on the edge, to, you just can't take any more, that's bad in itself. But what's making it worse is the fact that we've got this lockdown. We are not living in the natural world at the moment. No. This is not your normal everyday thing. This is making things much worse. It will come to an end. It's got to. It, it's, it's happened before. You know, if you go back to, to what is it, 1911. Um, Spanish flu, isn't it? What you're referring yeah, to the Spanish flu. It's been, it, and then we ha it happened again and again. Yeah, it's yeah, every yeah, 200 yeah. years almost, yeah. this thing's happened. Yeah. It's going to come to an end. You have to park that and realise that we are all in this together, as the government keep telling us, and put that yeah. to one side. Yeah. The other thing, then you've got to just focus on yourself. You've got to focus on yourself. And, you, and as I said, you've got to sit down and be brutally honest with yourself. I mean, I did. I, I sat down and I actually wrote out all the things. I did two lists. This is going to sound ridiculous. And I'm opening up to you here because I haven't yeah. told anyone this. But... Only remember, only tell me, you don't have to tell me if you're not. No, 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 no. I've got, I've got to say this because it's important. Okay. All right, cool. I did two lists. I did one list where I wrote everything that brings me so much joy. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I wrote another list of all the things that piss me off. Right. All the things that made me angry and all the things that I was frightened of. Yeah. And what I did is I stuck them on a wall and I just looked at them and I had a pen and I said, okay, and of all of these things that make me angry and piss me off, how can I control that? Do they actually make any difference to my life whatsoever? Mm. And I thought, well, that one doesn't. And then does that. And all the time I'm crossing ones out, I'm looking over other, other things on the good list saying, well, I've got a roof over my head. I've got a great wife. I've got friends. I've got food. Uh, I'm not rich, but I do actually have some money. And then after about, and this is something which took days. This is not something I did in five minutes. I would go away and then come back and think about it again and say, okay, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And you, and even if you are the most shyest and, and uh, maybe you, you, you feel so, that you are nothing, you'll find that actually you're a hell of a lot stronger and versatile than you think, hmm. a hell of a lot more. And I realized that going through these lists that I crossed off three quarters of the things on the bad list. Then I went onto the good list and say, okay, these are the things that make me happy. Which ones of these can I not do and get now? I didn't cross a single one off, not one, because I realized that even though we're in the lockdown, I still had my wife, I still had my friends, I still had a roof over my house, I still got all the films I love watching, I still got all the CDs I love listening to, I'm writing my book, uh, I can go onto Facebook, I can uh, uh, talk to my friends, I can do blah, 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 blah. Not one bloody thing came off that list, and yet on the other one, I totally destroyed it. It's, again, it's knowing, it's knowing that you are stronger than you, than you think, and you can take that step forward. Then one thing you must must do and i know this has been told by other people before but you've got to do this is stop watching the fucking news stop it stop looking at all these things which are on on media because a lot of it is made up 
You've got to understand that news teams are there to make money. Sure. That's what they're there for. They're not there to tell you the news. If they were going to tell you the news, they would have told you about Betty down the road, who's just saved you know, hundreds of lives in this little hospital you've never heard of. Mm. Oh, no, no, let's go over there and show all the fear and the hate and so on and scare the crap out of you, yeah. you know? Don't watch it. That, just don't. Watch something else. Watch something that makes you feel really good, that brings back those great memories again. And then when you feel better within yourself and you're a little bit more grounded, then make another list. Make one list where you say, these are the things I can do. Okay? That's in the past now. All those, all those jobs and things I did are in the past. It doesn't matter because that's my, that's my portfolio. Mm. All these things I've got on the list, I've still got them. I'm still me. I still have the, that, that power to do these things. Okay, so what can I do with all those um, skills I have? Nice choice it's your choice you have to make that choice and that leap and believe me it scares the crap out of you but if you don't take it you will spend the rest of your life wondering what if don't be a what if person yeah yeah, yeah definitely just like don't, the, don't old, go uh, the old people's home that you remembered at the top end of the show exactly exactly yeah and let's leave it on that because that is that brings us absolutely full circle and that's perfect that gives us something we can do uh we end up we end up in the old people's home right not wanting to be in that yes place. exactly um exactly but that's amazing so what's what's going to happen is i'll um i'm gonna so for you guys thanks for listening i'm gonna leave um links and you know social media links in the bottom and stuff so if you want to get hold of um steve's creative pages um steve allen creative you can do that and of course i'll link you up to max underdog you got to check out max underdog man he's just top level he's too- <laughs> yeah you have definitely got to meet max underdog <laughs> max hi man max. how are you doing i cannot how are you man i i tell you um, i could only okay. you'd be here Sorry? I could never have dreamed that you have joined us on the uh, Buddhist Millionaire podcast. I, it's, it's, my life is complete, man. Ah, oh dear. You have such a shallow life. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. No, I'm, I'm really pleased to be here. It's good. It's not bad. Steve, uh, Steve gave us some good advice, Max. I know that you don't think, uh, but he did give us some good advice. <laughs> you don't believe it, do you? He gave you good advice. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. I, I bet he did. <laughs> And, how, and how, have been, how have you been through lockdown? Have you been okay? Well, you know, I've been out and had a, a few walks and things and right. uh, chased the squirrel a few times. And okay. um, what else? Uh, I put a lot of really, really rude stuff up on Facebook. I know. So I, that's saw, just I saw some of that <gasps> stuff going on. Although there, a couple of things, you've got some good jokes and there's some pretty good Max wisdom. I'm impressed. It's like watching uh, Marcus Aurelius or you know, seeing his memes. They're Max Underdog now. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, so, thank anyway. you for coming, Max. I, I tell you, you have absolutely made my, I was going to say day, but life, actually, to be honest. Do you, want, do you want me back on again? Yeah, go on, bring him back on again. And I'll, uh, I'll speak to you soon, yeah? You'll speak to me soon, yeah. <laughs> okay. It's been a pleasure. I hope I'm bored, people, but... Uh, you know, I just, I just say that 
whatever's happening in your life, you know, there are a lot of people out there that do understand, but please take that leap of faith, whatever it is, just, just do it and you will not, you'll not regret it. Listen, you guys, so that's, that's Steve Allen. Amazing, right? We are very fortunate to have him. And as you know, please uh, share this podcast. This is not about me. I don't need to be famous, trust me. But I'm asking you to share it because these people I'm interviewing, they're fascinating people. And I know they have advice that can help someone you know that needs help. Does that make sense? I'll play, play that phrase back in my head. So share it with someone who you think could benefit. Um, stay safe. Uh, stay sane in the rest of this lockdown and what we'll do is i'll catch you very very soon for the next edition of buddhist millionaire podcast all right lots of love take it easy